This is the Grin Podcast, and joining me today is Zarar Said, the writer from New York. I am Hindul Singh Gupta, and you are listening to the Grin Podcast. Zarar Said, thank you very much for joining the show. It's it's, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Zerasaid has been invited to the Grin podcast because he's the author of a wonderful new book called Pure Land. This book in wonderful ways and really heart-wrenching ways talks about the idea of extreme belief in religion. It tells through this a fictional story the tale of what happened to the first nobel prize winning scientist in pakistan dr abdul salam how and why he was ostracized because of extreme belief systems because he was an ahmadi and what really his tale signifies not only for pakistan but for the nature of divinity of the belief in divinity in our world zarar i want to begin by asking you by the way i loved your book congratulations for writing a really wonderful book thank you thank you so much i wanted to begin by asking you that your story in a sense tells us about two ways genius can be murdered in this case of course the scientist dr abdul salam of course he has a different name in the book one way is of course the literal murder of a person and the other is a sort of cultural and social killing this you very pointedly suggest in the book is a far more insidious process the second one and one that takes us away from really contemplating the divinity that we all sense in the world alongside with the idea of compassion that also exists in the world it takes it away these two ideas divinity and compassion it drives them further away from one another talk to me a little bit about how you came upon this very deep and insightful understanding so uh firstly i i mean thank you very much for picking up on this i think you're the only one that actually asked me this question and i've had a fair number of interviews now but i was hoping someone actually caught on to that um The simple answer I mean let me un- unpackage you you've asked me you know a, a, a multi-layered question let me unpackage that a little bit so what I wanted to answer is the, the very simple answer is the cultural murder is the most detrimental of all is the most detrimental detrimental to our society on the whole so when the book begins it's actually a murder mystery right it, it, the the narrator says you know something along the lines of you were expecting a monster monster perhaps you know i'm i'm not who they say i am please have a seat i'll tell you more i want to tell you what happened how i killed this man and the entire book is just a, a confession pretty much um of how not only how he has killed uh, this person but how how our society has completely um eradicated him and through our silence and he's basically begging the reader or uh, you know this unknown person to not let that happen again like you know it's happened once to me don't let that happen don't let history repeat itself so i wanted this murder mystery to take on you know multiple facets one one of them is that we you know 
let's pick apart first of all the original idea and the actual novel itself so then from the novel you know the the protagonist is, is this man called Salim who was born in poverty goes on to great achieve great things this was in, inspired by the life of dr abdul salam you know i was very very intrigued by his story as a, as you know a science major when i was in college so let's unpackage that a little bit what i wanted to talk about here was the you know we as a nation uh, have have continued to live in in a world where salam's legacy has been eradicated from from our lives when you, you know, say we as a nation of course you mean the pakistani nation right yes yes well i guess you know that goes on into the overall you know pakistani diaspora and also the indian diaspora because most of all he was indian right he was born in in pre-partition india and lived most of his life in india that's exactly right yes he was he was actually offered the indian citizenship by indira gandhi he turned it down you know there's a lot of things so as as a culture we have lost him um and we continue to lose him and an entire generation has had to live without knowing who he is and what he did for the world of science i keep saying this but it, it needs to be re- repeated that societies and cultures suffer from the prejudices that they keep um no one has suffered more in the aftermath of the amadi excommunication than the people of of pakistan the nation that you know salam loved so much uh, to to the point of insanity um so i i wanted to make that into a love story a tragic love story um there's many times where i've made comparisons to you know how germany lost einstein to anti-semitism and the people who gained were the the guys who run princeton university um you know and so and we we've seen throughout history like uh dr alan turing was almost electrocuted to death before he deciphered the codes that eventually defeated the nazis in the world war so you know he was electrocuted because he was homosexual um what the the flip side of this is is uh you know there's the story of of ramanujan uh the, the indian mathematician who inspired an entire generation of indians to take on you know mathematics and science and you know eventually computer science you know and right now the ceo of google is an indian and microsoft ceo is an indian and i'm sure like the top echelon of oracle and sun micro sun microsystems all these companies they're they're mostly indians right That's um right. yes so so let's imagine for a moment let's do a thought experiment 1975 or 76 or whenever salam was excommunicated and he, he went abroad let's imagine you know he was left left to do whatever he wanted to do and and do his research and teach and um you know promote the sciences how would that have changed the country that is now pakistan you know um I I just I keep thinking about that and it really hurts me how many more salams could have been born and how many would have went on to win nobel prizes or or achieve things if anything we are so far away from that now um uh, and and I that really really hurts me so I think in in this story that I wrote the the novel the novel form is is I think a really good way to approach this story and to basically ask reader the reader these kind of questions um and hopefully you know if i'm lucky uh, entertainment at the, at the same time before we go on further could you explain because we have an audience of listeners spread across more than 10 countries in the world some of them may not be familiar with what exactly is the amadi story could you explain succinctly a little bit for them That so what really is the problem why would such a man be excommunicated in the first place so um 
you know one of the things that I, I don't do in the in the novel is is really touch upon you know why it is that amadis are so you know feared or 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 considered imposters and there's a reason for that i mean i think that the larger picture would be that this is not just an amadi story or a pakistan story this is it's universal. about any minorities any minority that's been going yes, through yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. so just to give your listeners a background so the amadi community is basically the they are part of the muslim sect that had a leader who um you know in the late 1800s um in in pre-partition india started a community of people uh that that believed that this leader was the you know one of the final uh, was the, divine the, in a sense yes. was divine in a sense and also yeah. kind of a re uh rebirth of jesus christ you know sure. there's a, there's a great you know there's a great notion that jesus christ would return in all abrahamic well, well in two abrahamic religions and this was just one of those factions now they've been around for a while and i think in in the late 60s and early 70s uh bhutto uh, the zulfikar ali bhutto wanted to realign his country to become a a uh, an islamic republic which it never was um and b he wanted to align himself with with the arab uh, leaders of the world so and a particularly things, conservative one in some senses well in those days it wasn't conservative you see like in in the 40s and 50s things were very different like you know muslim countries weren't exactly what they are now Right. So wanted, saying, like, yeah, know, yeah. As in, the, that was the transition. I mean, you could be that a was the Muslim country yes. and not be very conservative at all, as as right. you're correctly pointing out. In 50s and 60s, there were examples of that. Yeah, But, like uh, Lebanon and and you know, Puerto. That was the change. He, he, and also, he was a very petty man. So I think you know what what happened was they asked him to kind of you know control this. So in, in Pakistan, in those days, it was about 20 25 population was was were minorities, right? Christians, Hindus, and mostly shias and and amadis and all sorts so i think i don't know what happened there but he excommunicated the amadi community and and they're one of the only communities in in the history of the world to be systematically eradicated through um you know like a constitutional law and and it basically became a part of the constitution that you have to um declare all amadis as as heretics and imposters and non-muslims Now this is a very profound profoundly hurtful thing. So Dr Dr Abdul Salam when he was was excommunicated he wrote in his diary today is the first day someone's called me not Muslim I cannot you know bear to talk or something like something along those lines I forget what it is. And he was deeply hurt by this to the point where he changed his name to Muhammad Abdul Salam. He grew a beard um he became even more religious and and this kind of excommunication you know tore his heart to pieces and i think this this is is the crux of this story and this holds a lesson actually for extremism of all forms around the exactly, world exactly exactly i no mean look at look at what's community, happening in uh, no yeah i mean community no matter which country it exactly. holds a great and profound lesson uh, for uh, for extremism and the fight against extremism correct and i i think in, even in the book I, I, somewhere i mentioned that purlin can can be anywhere and and you know how is that working out for you he's talking to the you know this person who we who we don't really see or hear about throughout the book um and he's like how's it working out for you right because yeah look look at where we are like I, i'm in new york city um we have a president who thinks that building walls is the answer to uh the problem you know the problem of of these people that believe that 
we can be culturally monogamous are not going to their ideas are not going to live that long. So that's we, that, that's, that's the sort of in, in a sense the underlying point of your book that um in, in a sense I mean even though your book talks about this um this this terrible assassination really of this great man the underlying theme of course is this idea that um that 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 sociological purity is is such a is is it's bit of such a crazy dream isn't it i mean uh, purity of any any sort is like that right so uh, what it, what does purity really signify signify it signifies that something is yeah. actually not not pure right something Quite is right. tainted something is tainted and and this is something we need to sift out of of that taint and become it's such an absurd concept you know um it's basically the 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 theme the of chest. the chest of the book to yeah. go on with the with the conversation i want to ask you the other very poignant and powerful theme that um that appeared to me when i read your beautiful book is that at the heart of your book also lies that very old struggle isn't it between quote and quote the believers and the non-believers so to speak right the unbelievers the non-believers yeah, exactly. and who gets to decide right who gets to decide who's a believer and who's a non-believer uh, i wonder you could t- talk to us a little bit or tell us a little bit about your thoughts about this theme you know <laughs> i can go on forever but like there's this really cool south park episode where uh cartman's talking about religion and he's like you know religion is like are like farts right yours mine <laughs> mine smells but yours is really bad right mm-hmm. so this is it's kind of like that so i i mean <sighs> the way i would i would go about this is is try to keep it simple like we we are a species that has only been around on earth for about 100,000 years right our ancestors most of them you know died before the age of 35 probably because of their teeth um and so many diseases and war and like bloodshed and you know disasters our survival depended on like superstition so the ones that took caution and were scared of the moving bush survived and and passed on their genes to others the inquisitive ones the ones who would apply the scientific method to to the moving bush and said oh let's you know let's analyze this and turned out to be a tiger they died right we developed you know and and through that superstition we developed gods and religion and and religion was our first attempt at everything for example like you know like uh healthcare or you know how do we heal the sick like, let's pray for them um so basically that that's kind of carried on now let, let's fast forward 100,000 years and here we are still struggling with the same that same superstitious side of our psyche blind belief may have you know helped us survive the savanna but it is restricting our growth as human beings as a species um the struggle between the believer and the heretic is is at the very core of of the foundation of this this nation called pureland in the book um not only that i mean look at what's happening like we talked about like look, look at what's happening in india in greece and in, in the us this heathen hunting is continuing and it is taking lives as we speak it took lives uh, a couple of weeks ago in church that guy was of kind of purity and pure life right um so who gets to decide who's a believer is not and who's not a believer is is not the question we should be asking we as a species have bigger bigger problems you know we we have to and to and to sit there and solve whose imaginary god is better than the other imaginary god is is an absurd thing to do 
the discrimination based on ideology is the most absurd thing uh, in this world. So, you know, like for it's example, let's do a thought experiment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go on. Please. I mean, if I, I mean, if we were to do a thought experiment, I, and sure. let's say, like, I I believe in in the flying spaghetti monster. You can't see him, and you know he's there, and he tells me to make you believe in him. You can't win that argument, can you? I mean, you, it's just there's no way out of that. Um, therefore, the question should be. How do we move forward from this debate? Uh, and the answer is is simply that we should be allowed to believe what we want to believe in our you know in our own privacy of our own homes as long as it doesn't influence our day to day lives and interactions with others. So when you go to the workplace, in in any capitalist society or any like you know forward looking society, you leave your religion at the door. You don't bring you know Santa Claus into your office. You know there, there's a very like. Uh, very specific laws in place now, and especially in the U.S. and the U.K., where you're not even allowed to say Merry Christmas anymore. You know, you're you're supposed to say Happy Holidays. So, you know, things like that. The the separation of church and state is is paramount in order for us to move forward, um, and that's the only solution. I want to also um, talk to you a little bit about as we come to the end of this interview. Uh, your story, your book, really uh, made me think about, as you were saying, how we can re-evaluate our thoughts about religion and indeed about the contemplation of the divine, because um, it's quite clear that in a world which suffers from great loneliness, with um, with families breaking apart, with social society and and social norms at a bit of a crisis around the world, people are seeking some sort of solace now in an older time they may have sought that solace from god from you know from religion now they seek their therapist and uh, you know some of those um, processes might be ironically similar so i wonder how the process of writing your book made you recontemplate this idea of religion you know that's a I, I didn't want to make religion like the main theme of the book. It, it's it's really not. Um, what I wanted to do was to. I'll tell you what happened. So while I was writing the book, something strange happened. One of my one of my friends was kidnapped um, in Lahore. He, he was the son of the um, the governor of Punjab, Salman Tasi, and he he was kidnapped in broad daylight, and his family was you know tortured through social media and, and whatnot for being who they are and being westernized and whatnot I, I just I just saw it was really painful for me it was really painful because I I thought you know what's next it this is you know we've heard about I'm, I'm a student of history as well right I really like reading about the Persian Empire and what happened to you know the Shah of Iran and how that entire wonderful wonderful culture was destroyed overnight and i keep thinking what if that happens to to the place that i was born in and that kind of got woven into the narrative and the narrative also became about all right this this story is about the country itself right this is what's going to happen i'm going to make the worst case scenario draw this country out to be like you know an aftermath of what can happen and in those days i didn't even know about isis and i you know i kind of <laughs> kind of put that whole caliphate thing in in the book but i didn't realize that it actually came true in the next year um and we have these kind of aftermaths in 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 the wake of of such a wave of extremism syria you know like you know damascus used to be one of the beacons of of of, of modern society and now you know it's surrounded by rubble 
Um, same with Mesopotamia and, and Iraq and Iran, Afghanistan. I, I, can, I mean, I can keep going. Um, these, these, it, it just keeps repeating itself. And so it inadvertently ended up in the novel um, because of what was happening around me. And I, it's just not, it's just like when you're writing fiction, you, you sometimes don't have control of that. I didn't, I didn't consciously do that. It's sub, your, your subconscious does an awful lot of work for you. And it kind of weaved itself into the narrative automatically. As we conclude, Zarar, here's the interesting thing. Uh, it's uh, almost poignantly ironic that you mentioned Salman Tasir. I used to know Salman Tasir. I was probably one of the last Indian journalists uh, who interviewed him. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, um, really brutally shaken by his assassination. And there is, as you say, there is a deep-seated lesson for all of us there. But thank you for having written a really beautiful book, Sarar Saeed, oh, uh, speaking so to us from New York. And thank you for joining this podcast. My pleasure. This is Hindols and Gupta, and you are listening to me talking to the author Zarar Saeed. His new beautiful book, Pure Land, is now out. You can go and look up Zarar Saeed and Pure Land. This is the Grin Podcast. Thank you very much for listening.